Hi, this is Carl. We're excited to announce Microsoft's newest developer service called Azure Pipelines, a fully managed CI-CD platform for any app, language, or cloud. Azure Pipelines is integrated with GitHub through their CI Marketplace and free for open source projects with 10 concurrent jobs and unlimited build minutes for their cloud-hosted Linux, Mac OS, and Windows agents. Learn all the details by visiting azure.com pipelines. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. I'm about to head off to Australia, my friend. You and me both, brother, because we're off to, well, by the time this show comes out, I think we'll be at NDC recording our brains out. By the way, first time you and I have been together in Australia in like 10 years. That's right. It was 2009. Yeah. Wasn't it? 2008, I think. 2008, 2009. Right in there. And you know one of the things we did while you were down there? Yeah, we went to visit your aunts. We, you did do that. And I remember hopping in that Holden Commodore. I said, now listen, every time you see me turn off the windshield wipers for no particular reason, I meant to hit the turn signal. You can make fun of me because they're <laughs> reversed. <laughs> but also, you migrated .NET Rocks to S3. That's right. While, while we, were, we there, were down there. On a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. I moved all the files laptop. over. That was crazy. It's a long time ago, man. It's like, <laughs> it's funny to talk about stuff we were working on 10 years ago. So it, it, it uh-huh. hit me when we were planning for NDC Sydney. It's like, wow, it has literally been 10 years since you and I are together uh, in yep. Australia. And so that's why we're going to record a whole ton of shows in front of audiences. Like we're going to be on stage at NDC Sydney. It's going to be great. Yep. but And probably a bit too late for anyone hearing this now going, what? They're over there? Yeah. Run over to Hilton <laughs> right now. This is it. <laughs> all right well um something different for better know framework today so roll the music all right dude what do you got well i spoke about this on the last show at the end of the show with donovan Mm -hmm. and this is uh, an event that i'm doing the first of its kind on youtube it's a live youtube music concert with the franklin brothers band it's a steely dan tribute night so we're going to do a set of Steely Dan covers and a set of originals, maybe a couple other non-Steely Dan covers. But but essentially, it's a concert just for the online audience. There are wow. going to be no tickets sold in the studio. So nobody's coming to your studio. You have to go online for this. Yeah, that's right. We're not selling tickets. We, we will have a few friends in the studio helping and all that kind of stuff. But right. there's no seats. There's, you know, it's not, we're not performing for the studio audience we're performing for the live audience and it uh you know i've always liked these shows like live from daryl's house you know yeah where uh, daryl hall has this live streamed or, or produced show where he gets people to come in and play and that's the whole idea is that we really want to push up the production value the sound is going to be album quality meticulous and the video is going to be great too but the reason that I'm I'm bringing it up, not just to promote it, which, by the way, if you want to buy tickets, go to live.pwop.com. It's going to be Friday, September 28th. That'd be next Friday. Right. At 8 p.m. Eastern. But I also want to talk a little bit about the, the tool that I'm using. And this is just as much of the better NOAA framework. Uh, it's Sling Studio. 
If you just look up Sling Studio, you'll see Sling are the guys that did Sling Box and Sling TV, right? Right. So Sling Studio is this compact system of Wi-Fi-based camera switching. And it's relatively cheap compared to like a TriCaster or something like that. Sure. You basically connect to the shoe of your cameras, video cameras, DSLR, whatever, this Wi-Fi broadcaster, and then you take the HDMI out of your camera and go into that. And then you can have up to four cameras, and you switch them live with an iPad app. It also works on a Mac. So the idea is that somebody can sit there, see all four live shots, and switch back and forth with transitions and stuff, and there's titling and all that. And you can connect directly to and even start a live stream on YouTube with it if you you know, you know put in all the parameters and you just go live. Cool. This is the coolest part, though, is that even if you don't use the live streaming stuff, you can record everything to either an SD card on the main unit or an external hard drive. And when you pull that up in Premiere or Final Cut, it's already edited. Like you don't just get a complete video with that's all edited and you can't undo anything. You get all the individual videos. So you get the four channels you recorded and you're switched recording. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So you can just tweak it. And now you're, you, you know, if you like the way the edits were cut live, great. But if you don't, you can just change the ones you want to change. It also takes an audio input. So in this case, we're going to get an audio feed from our board. Right. Which has, you know, the, the good quality studio sound polished and all that stuff. And that's going to go right out to the video. Nice. Well, it'll be interesting to see it. Yeah. And I'm really hoping that some .NET Rocks listeners will show up. Even if they don't like Steely Dan, but uh, to just to see the technology in use. This is going to be uh, the second time that I'm using it. The first time is going to be like right now. Um, well, it was already after this came out. This this is coming out on Thursday the 20th. Right. On the 16th, I'm uh, doing a, a keto fest down under in Canberra, Australia with Richard Morris. And we're right. using this. We're using the Sling Studio to do live. You know, it, re- it reminds me that, uh, you know, back to 10 years ago, your YouTube video, Home at Last. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which you, you playing all of the instruments and cutting together. I think it was a, initially a video experiment. You just sort of take for granted the fact that you could play every part of Home at Last. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I, I was I, wa- I wanted to do something where I could play all the all the instruments. And that was one song that I knew. What you have to do. Before something like this Sling Studio is you set up your cameras and then you have to sync them all up. Yeah. You know, you have to and make sure that they're synced, plug in the the audio and do your cuts. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. No question. Really, really looking forward to doing this. Awesome. And that's my long better know framework for today. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1386, which we did back in December of 2016, uh, which is the last time we had Dan on the show. It was actually a live show or in front of an audience at Dev mm-hmm. Intersection Europe, where we were doing a panel discussion about containers right. uh, with Michelle Bustamante and uh, Rick Van Rysselt and, of course, Dan Willeen. And this show is particularly notorious because the recorder shut off for like the last two minutes. I don't know if you remember. 
Oh, yes. Did not double check the, the capacity on the SD card. And so, you know, a little bit of a blunder. It, we salvaged it because it was such a good show. I was glad we, we kept it, but we did have to do a little little fiddling there. And uh, David Bayless has this comment again from a couple of years ago where he said, this is a great show. Just a throwaway idea per dozen per dime. Bluetooth <laughs> low energy. This is a little off topic for container, but he's a, a, a maker guy. Uh, BLE is supported properly now for easy use in Android and iOS. I bought a couple of these uh, and he actually provides a link to a gizmo called a uh, uh, Beetle BLE, which is an Arduino blade or, or, uh, a skin that you could add on uh, that gives you BLE for your Arduino. Mm-hmm. You could take one of these tied into a photo transistor, say, maybe with a smartwatch with a vibrator motor, and then use it as a notification for when the recording light turns off. So ah. actually put the little photo sensor over top of the recording light, you know, maybe tape it in place and then have it, you know, buzz your phone via Bluetooth. You know, there's yeah. a simple idea. Cool. Which I thought was very gadgety. And then, then the other thing occurred to me, which is, or, Check your flipping capacity on your SD card like a professional does. <laughs> Who would do that? Nobody does that. <laughs> That's no fun. <laughs> I mean, you and I have made fifteen hundred of these together. Yeah, I made. Yeah. I just passed six hundred on Run As Radio. We've lost a few shows over the yep. years, but yep. in the proportion of things, not that many. Yep, not that many. You know, I you know, say we round that out to a nice even two thousand. Do you think we've lost twenty? No. I don't think we've lost 20. I don't think so. They're so memorable when we do. I think maybe we lost five or six. Yeah. Uh, maybe a dozen. But, ah, that's uh, generous. Yeah. Anyway, maybe. I uh, I generally, you know, have a good habit of when we're setting up the, the recorder of digging. It does tell me when you turn on the channels exactly how much time is available in the recording. That's right. In that configuration, there's no excuse. You just have to look. Do, do, yep. Be responsible. Yep, yep. So, David, yep. thank you for your comment. It was a super gadgety idea that I did think about for a little while and uh, definitely grabbed a link uh, to the little Beetle BLE, which is amazing. Cute little thing. And uh, a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .net rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We back him up with Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Streaming some. backups. Stream and backups. All right, let's bring back to the show for the, I don't know, seventh or eighth time. I can't remember. Dozenth, yeah. Dan Wallin, yes. Dan founded Wallin Consulting, which provides training, architecture, and mentoring services on web technologies like Angular, React, Node.js, Express, JavaScript, TypeScript, C Sharp, ASP.NET Core, Web API, microservices, and Docker. <gasps> Good Lord, that's a mouthful. He's also published multiple development courses on Pluralsight and Udemy. And Dan is a Docker captain, a Google GDE, a Microsoft MVP and regional director, and speaks at conferences and user groups around the world. Dan's written several books on web technologies, hundreds of technical articles and blog posts, and runs the Code with Dan web development newsletter, a great way to stay up on the latest technologies. Follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Walline. Welcome, Dan. Hey, guys. Great to be back. Great to have you. Uh, just going to do the stats for you here. Uh, this will be your eighth solo show with us. You've also done a couple wow. of panel discussions. 
over the years. But you also did two shows on the tablet show, including show number two, which mm. I believe is your personal best work. Because the title of the show was Resist the Drama. Oh, that's great. <laughs> October of 2011, the fallout over Silverlight and everybody's screaming about Silverlight yeah. being dead. I remember that. Yeah. In walked Mr. Waleen going, you guys need to calm down. You just need to <laughs> calm down. Yeah. It was a rough time for a lot of folks, though, oh, I will yeah. admit. Yeah but, yeah, but we got through it, right? I can't talk, you did. know, I'm doing the research for the history of .NET, so there's some pieces I can't talk about right now because we're still trying to figure out how they all go together. But the only thing crazier than the drama out in the world around Silverlight was what was going on internally. Like, mm. it, it was pretty, <laughs> that is a very mental time inside of Microsoft. Pretty intense, late, huh? late 2010, when Bob Muglia did the thing at PDC to about, Late 2012 after Win 8 shipped. That window is, I think, the one of the hardest times. I'm, I literally am referring to it as the dark times for Microsoft. Yeah. And, and, yep. and I think back to how we, I mean, it's one of the reasons the tablet show existed was all of that drama. Yeah. Because we were sort of wondering if .NET still rocked. And so we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were thinking of this was our the backup the plan. <laughs> We walked out of that, the first build conference build. in 2011 and literally looked at each other and went, I wonder if .NET doesn't rock anymore. Like, what are we going to do? And this was our backup plan. And you were number two. Yep. You were the second show. Yeah. Yeah. That was a long time ago. I do remember it though, because that, that was kind of a, a key topic, which by the way, I think applies to pretty much anything in life, right? You know, no, things are falling apart and you can either freak out or you can say, hey, it is what it is. Let's move on to whatever we can do, you know? Yeah. Just got to go find the cheese again. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Our, our skills are our skills and they're not going away. You can do a lot. Yep. Yeah. What are you working on, my friend? What what moves you these days? Well, still doing a lot of uh, Docker stuff. Um, that's kind of a given now. It's sort of baked into the process, if you will. Doing a lot of front end stuff as well. Um, hopefully in the near future. I don't, I don't know by the time we, you publish the show, it'll be done, but have a product we're going to be releasing for, uh, kind of some live hands on type stuff that we're wow. working on. And, uh, it's all, you know, front end with a, well, obviously a back end as well. But, uh, one of the cool things I've been doing there, it's, uh, open source. Uh, product. You can also, they have a dashboard. I think they, they buy if you get really serious for your CICD systems, mm. but, uh, it's called Cypress IO. Cypress.io mm -hmm. is the website. Okay. So I've actually been spending quite a bit of time on, uh, automating, you know, a lot of the end to end type scenarios. So you're, you know, pretty much playing the user, except for it types way faster than I do. Um, <laughs> and, you know, going through it and creating these, really all it is is kind of dumb. The hardest part about it is you have to find out the selector, you know, to yeah. identify the button or the tag or whatever it is you're looking for. Why wouldn't you just use Selenium for this? Isn't that kind of the reference way? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what all the major stuff uses. This is sure. not. Um, and so what, what I like about it is, number one, it's really fast. It's, nice. you know, kind of a written from scratch. I believe it's only Chromium right now base. So oh, okay. In looking through their GitHub uh, stuff, I know that they're either working on or they plan to work on something. They're going to have to write it from scratch, though, because they can't use WebDriver, it's called. So they're going to write something from scratch for, like, Edge. 
Uh, but right now it doesn't mm. support edge, at least that I'm aware of. But, uh, what I love about it is number one, it doesn't crash much. Um, fact, <laughs> that's, that's what I like. Test suite. I like yeah, that a lot. Exactly. He didn't say <laughs> it doesn't detail. crash. He said it doesn't crash much. Well, I, I shouldn't have said, it. I realized as I said that, that you're going to call me on that. Um, <laughs> actually, it hasn't crashed. The only, the only challenge I have had is every now and then I'll start it and then Chrome doesn't pop up. And then you mm. just, they have this stop button you hit and you just do it again. So it's oh. not really a crash. It's just more of a Chrome was busy or something. I don't know. Gotcha. So, so is this your sort of go-to spa tester now? It is right now. Yeah. I mean, um, I've been using it for, I don't know, maybe six months now. And mm. I, like I said, I moved to it because this is a, a front end app. It's actually Angular. Um, it's a pretty big app. And so, I normally am uh, not so much jumping on the end-to-end test because it's just you don't have time to do every type of test. You know, I mean, it's just not possible with a small right. team. Right. Um, but on this one, it's pretty intricate or detailed in how navigation works and stuff like that. So I'm like, all right, let me just see how hard it'll be to try this out. I had heard about it from a friend that does actually React. And, uh, so I'm like, well, I'll give it a shot because the de facto standard in Angular is Protractor, it's called, which is the whole web driver type setup. Yeah. Um, and, and it works fine, you know, but I wanted something that was even faster and didn't crash as much. So, uh, gave Cypress a chance. It's been pretty impressive. Yeah. I, I like it so far. Cool. I, there must be some particular problems, uh, or challenges when testing a spa. That you might not have when you're when you're using uh, more traditional page-to-page websites. No. Yeah. No. I mean, th- there are just from the standpoint of, uh, for instance, a component you might want to test might be you know three levels down in a route, and mm-hmm. you know you need to, for instance, I am finding I have some next and previous type buttons to move between steps, and yeah. uh, you need to you know, go find those buttons and then maybe click them a couple times to move forward to get to that level you want to get to. Whereas, you know, on a kind of traditional app, first off, you'd have to reload the whole page, right? Yeah. That's one of the nice things here is once the spa is loaded, it is pretty fast to test because you're not reloading the whole page. Um, Mm -hmm. Now you are between tests. So I should clarify that because between tests, you'll have the, you know, before each test, do this. And then uh, they have a little visit API you call that you give it the URL. Um, but like in some cases, I'm, I'm testing. I just last night was working on some stuff to uh, test. I have to add a bunch of different items. Like you want to add a markup item. You want to add a code item. You want to yeah. add, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, there's little tricks you can do where you just keep the page up and add and then delete and then add and then delete and then kind of test as you're going with your assertions. And, uh, boy, does it speed it up. It's like, it went from, you know, taking maybe, I mean, it's still not that long, but maybe 30 seconds to, I think I can probably blow through it in 10 seconds now, something like that, a bunch wow. of these. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been neat because I'll be honest, that's not been my focus over the years, you know, end to end testing, right. um, sure. you know, unit testing, I think we've all done, but end yep. to end testing, um, I think at a lot of, you know, bigger companies that go in, they actually have some folks for that. And of course, Microsoft has some folks for that and Angular has some folks for that. But, uh, I don't think that 
most of us as devs, you know, that unless that's your job, you probably haven't done that much with it. So right. it's, it's actually been kind of fun. And do you focus on the test runner or do you find the dashboard service important as well? So with this one, uh, they have, yeah, the test runner. And, and what's cool, I wish I could show you guys because it's, it's actually more impressive when you see it. Sure. They will show you, um, first off, all the tests and the, the status, of course, the little green or red uh, dashboard. So I kind of focus on that. But what's cool is they have this like time travel mechanism. So hmm. every single step of your test, because, you know, you might navigate, you might find a button, you might click it, that might load a text box, then you type, and then, you know, you have all these steps. And then, of course, at some point, it's going to fail. And so you got to figure it out and, you know, figure out what went wrong. Well, they actually show you every step. And when you click on it, it'll actually take the browser. They have a little kind of snapshot of what they're testing uh, and they'll show it so that you can go backwards or forwards very easily and see what actually happened. And so it's kind of a, I don't know if they call it time travel or I'd have to look it up, but it's pretty neat that way because it makes it really easy to see what exactly was the state of my app at this stage yeah. and visually see it, which is pretty neat. Yeah, that's neat. So is this time travel feature in the test runner? Yeah. 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 Um, kind of imagine a test that says, you know, it should, uh, navigate to the exercise route, for instance. Yeah. Um, and then there might be five steps. So what will happen is while it's running the test, it'll actually expand that one test. Mm. And then you'll see bam, 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 bam. You'll see all the different things run real quick. And then of course, if it airs, it'll go red and light up the air. I, I, you know, for instance, I, I did struggle with, I needed to uh, input some text into a text box, but I have a fixed header. And so what was happening was when you clear out the text box with the API, it was for some reason scrolling the text box up like behind the header. And then I'm getting this error that we can't type in the text box because we can't see it. It's not visible. You know, it's, it's there, but it's kind of hidden. Uh, so it turns out there's workarounds for that, of course, but, uh, like you can do scroll to say, Hey, move the browser down this much, mm. um, do lots of stuff like that. But yeah, it's, um, really been interesting because like I said, there's, I'd say most of the companies and some of these are some really big companies that I, I go in with and, you know, work with their developers or train them or whatever. I don't think any of them really are doing end to end testing. Um, mm. you know, most of them, well, I shouldn't say most, some of them <laughs> are doing unit testing. Yeah. Uh, but this end to end testing, uh, what I like about it is now you're, you know, you're testing everything. Now you're hitting the database, mm. you're hitting your services. And, um, that's a good use for containers, by the way. Absolutely. Because, uh, uh-huh. Then you can bring up the whole environment, run these tests against it, drop it when you're done. And then if you have another suite of tests, bring it back up, start sure. from scratch. Dan, I got to interrupt you for one moment here for this very important message. Hi, this is Richard. The Dev Intersection Fall Show this year will be December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Hotel. The lineup is awesome. Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, Scott Hunter, yes, all the Scots. But also a ton of great industry speakers and some insight on what's coming up in the world of .NET. You know, Core 3 is bringing client technology like WinForms and WPF into play. Could it be time to migrate your existing desktop apps to this new technology? 
Come learn more at Dev Intersection, December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. Go to devintersection.com to register and use the code .NETROCKS to get a discount. And we're back. Richard Campbell, Carl Franklin, it's .NET Rocks. And we're talking to Dan Willeen about Cypress. So, you know, for me, as a guy who's done a lot of high-end, like, e-commerce sites and things like that, our testing suites were always big on short run times. So we would distribute them across a lot of machines, break the test down into different chunks so that you could, I really wanted to get the, the entire test sequence down to like 15 minutes. And it sounds like the dashboard service has a lot of that load balancing stuff built in. So the one that they, so Cypress, as I mentioned, is it's free. Uh, yeah, it's open, open source, source, but then they, they license this dashboard. Now I have not tried out that part of the dashboard because hmm. I've only read up on it a little bit and it sounds like it will for your scenario, like you just mentioned. Yeah. Provide that way to aggregate everything. And while we're recording this, they're still in beta and everything's free. They're, they're yeah. the only thing they say they're going to charge for when they come out of beta, which is supposed to be third quarter. So probably around now. Uh, is the private projects. So you can use the dashboard for a public project. So as long as you're running it in That's open right. source yeah. and, and putting That's stuff right. out there, you can use it. But it's only when you want to hide your ugliness, keep it private, <laughs> that yeah. they're going to... And, and they're asking for 100 bucks a month. That's... You know how much this stuff costs when you start thinking about things like Rational Rose and mm. HP's Load oh, Runner and very expensive tens of thousands of dollars. And somebody comes and goes, "Hey, how about a hundred bucks?" I'm like, holy man, here, take my money. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it's like a no-brainer, right? Yeah, in fact, I'm on. I just went to the dashboard. Uh, what is it? Cypress.io/dashboard. Mm-hmm, and right. uh, looking at that, yeah, that's a little. That's definitely different than what I'm using. Um, right. In fact, when they drill in, they show what I'm using, which is the, I guess, project-based one, you know? Right. It's interesting to get gradually into this, right? This idea of, can I test my spa well, integrated into yeah. your regular build process, but you can go further and further and further. And and the answer to that is yes, you can test it. I mean, I'm doing some stuff now that's really kind of like that eensy-beensy little splinter that's in the corner of the room, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I want to see what happens because... If there's one thing I've learned over the years, which I know you guys will definitely agree with this, it's you have those, uh, I call them, the, it's like Simba, don't go there. You know, the dark yeah, areas. Right. <laughs> we don't go over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's those areas you're like, ah, it probably works. I think it's pretty good. And you just like move on, you know, because yeah. you know, you just have that gut feeling that eh, I don't think this is quite right. But if, but if you want to take a, I'm sure you do this, you've run into this, you, they have an existing website. They're trying to add new features to it. They're scared to death because it, it breaks and you're just rolling back yeah. and trying again. So, you know, I'm, I take a page out of the whole micro feathers, like you wrap it in tests. Like this is what you do to start having some confidence about not breaking code that isn't yours. Yeah. And I, so I've been uh, adding some things over that. That's kind of why I jumped in about six months ago is because. At that point, I kind of I started off with an architecture that I thought was going to be exactly what I needed, right? And it turned mm-hmm. out it was a little too, little too hierarchical. Um, so I, you know, I learned some good lessons from that actually because I ended up refactoring it to flatten out the structure even more than I had. And mm-hmm. in doing that, of course, it breaks pretty much everything. <laughs> um, so finally, I'm like, you know, I got to have a more automated way to to try this because a unit test doesn't help me there. That only right. catches that one little, you know, function. 
Yeah. Um, I needed user interactivity and, and the whole end to end stack. Um, so anyway, long story short, that's kind of why I jumped in. And now guess what I do? Anytime I do a major, you know, change, I run these things and go, yes, green. Now it doesn't make it good, of course, but mm-hmm. gives me more confidence. And if it still breaks in some way you didn't think of, you write new tests to capture those before you fix it so you can mm. head that hit again, right? Like that's exactly. sort of that, that iterative ritual that builds up tests. Well, and just yesterday, I'm uh, I'm adding some more uh, to test some user customization settings I have. And uh, I realized I had a bug I hadn't actually noticed um, with how the, the pop down, the drop down kind of comes down when you right. click on it in certain resolutions. Cause you know, I'm usually at this point, I'm still developing and I'm kind of in one main resolution and this one, um, they have what's called a viewport. So not only can you run your tests, um, against, you know, say a desktop normal size, let's just call it, but you can also set up custom viewports and then run it. You know, I want to run on mobile and see how that does. Yeah. How's this look on a, on a, on a phone? How's this look on a tablet? Yep. Yeah. And anyway, I, did that and found a bug and went, ah, okay, well, that's good. Wouldn't have known that because I wouldn't have tried that specific exact resolution, at least mm. yesterday. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. <laughs> and it, it's uh, it's all those little bits. I, I do like the sense that you can gradually build up a set of tests. Like it's not a big bang thing. It's add a few more, add a few more, increase your coverage, yeah. have more confidence. Absolutely. And, you know, those that are lucky enough to have a kind of dedicated, you know, testing team or even one person part-time that does it. Yeah. It's just a huge kind of boon for you because now I, I think you kind of nailed it earlier when you said, you know, what happens when you add a new feature? And for most of us, that's, well, we run the unit tests and, you know, we hope those don't break. Yeah. But then, you know, that's not testing your UI at all. No. Um, so this kind of gives you that full end-to-end picture and it's it's been uh kind of enlightening for me because like i said i've never really dove into that angle before this hey richard yeah buddy guess what time it is now Uh, it must be that happy time again yeah it's time to announce that there is no joke today oh humor is on vacation Mm. packed (laughs) up its collection of milton burl joke books and hopped jet blue to miami (laughs) out of here See ya, humor. Humor. Have a good time. Get a tan. Wear sunscreen. (laughs) Be smart. Get some new books. Just saying. (laughs) It's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of Progress Telerik, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today, Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. And new this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive documentation, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash download. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Jeffrey L. Corbin. Congratulations, Jeffrey. 
Yeah. Good job, Golf clap for you. Good job, Jeffrey. And uh, Jeff just won a $200 Amazon gift card from Progress Telerik just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up if you want to win. All right, Dan, you know the drill. It's your turn. What are you going to do if you had five grand to spend on technology? How much is that Sling Studio? I've seen that before. Uh, oh. Where do those start at? The main Wi-Fi unit hub is about $1,000. And each camera link, uh, Wi-Fi is, I think, about four hundred bucks. Okay. And then there are batteries and other things that you can get too. So I can get two or three, two and a half of them if I want. Yeah, you could get a lot of that. You get a lot of. It. So you can only use four camera links. But oh, there is one thing I didn't mention, Dan, which is mm-hmm. if you have a smartphone, you can connect directly to the Sling Studio Wi-Fi and download an app, and now you're. Your phone is another camera that can be selected nice. in the shots. Nice. Yeah, I can actually uh, use that for some of the training stuff we do. So I, I've, I've actually looked at that before you said it, and I'm like, man, that thing looked cool, but I never went back to it. So I, that's what yeah. I'm going to do. I'm getting one of those. Absolutely cool. We'll donate the leftover to something, some charity. <laughs> and I have to mention that um, not being paid to say this, I truly think it's a remarkable product. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. Yeah, five grand will barely get you going in the TriCaster. This seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah, one of the companies I work with, they have a TriCaster. And yeah, that, that studio is pretty pricey, all the yeah, stuff no, they it, have. They, they're expensive gizmos. Plus all the wires that you need to have running all over the place. I mean, this just makes perfect sense. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and you could even, is it, are the uh, units themselves pretty portable? I mean. Extremely, yeah. Very light. Okay, so it's easy to travel if you wanted to? Yeah. I put them in my backpack. That's impressive. I feel like we're all getting into the video business these days, right? It's suddenly important that we have to find a way to do videos. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't Content know if this thing. show would be made better by having our talking heads showing. I, I debate that all the time. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. You'll, you'll have to break out your blue steel look. Yeah, no, great. <laughs> no, more importantly, I'd have to put on pants, and nobody wants that. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than oh, no what, pants. Was I supposed to wear a shirt? It's, a be- <laughs> it's the best thing about podcasting, right? It's like, nope, just my voice. Right, all I did was right. lubricate it with a little cup of tea. That's all I have to do. Putting on pants, totally optional. <laughs> hey, can we uh, get back to the spa thing for a minute? Um, you know, s- spas still have their sort of signature problems uh, or, or bugs, classic bugs like uh, memory leaks come to mind. Have any of these platforms gotten better at uh, at nailing these things down or, or just uh, not preventing them in the first place? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, so in the case of, I would say, the big three, Angular, React, and Vue.js now, um, the trouble usually comes in where, well, either a, the developer does something totally stupid, like loads, you know, a billion rows into the browser and thinks that's Who a good idea. Who would do that? Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Every time I say that, that somewhere, yeah. people start laughing and I go, yeah. <laughs> Cause we've all done it. We've exactly. all done it. <laughs> exactly. I worked on an app once. I got to tell you this story for a company and, uh, they were converting a desktop app over. 
And, it, you know, it wasn't that many rows, but it was too many still. It was 1,500 rows, right? Which you go, okay, well, 1,500 rows, that's a lot, but still 1,500 rows. Yep. Um, but I'm not kidding. I was given, I'm trying to measure it with my fingers here, uh, three to four inches of total vertical uh, height Man, for wow. those 1,500 rows. And <laughs> so for three meetings in a row, I'm like, you sure you want to do this? They're like, yep, it's got to look just like the desktop app. That's what our users like. Okay, you're paying the bills, whatever. Yep. So we did it. But mm. it had like 20 columns wide times 1,500 rows. Hmm. And so, and it was a JavaScript type app. And man, we had to do some serious optimization to get that to, this was before the spa days actually. Hmm. But uh, anyway, we got it going. So getting back to your question, it's a good question. Um, so the good news is, in especially I could speak to Angular because that's what I'm building this app in right now. Um, they've done a pretty remarkable job sort of nailing down those problem areas and fixing them. Now, of course, they can't help what we just brought up, stupid scenarios, but they can help some others. So one that comes to mind where it could be Angular, Vue, or React, where people get in trouble is just event handlers in general. And, you know, you don't release those, and that could lead to a memory leak because the memory kind of gets pinned and uh, doesn't get cleaned up till they, well, till they eventually close the browser or tab. Um the other one, though, is uh, I'm a big, big fan. And I know you said you had Ward on a show uh, just pretty recent, right? Yes. You know, one of the state management patterns is um, NGRX for Angular or, or Redux in the React world. And, uh, you know, in the Angular world, NGRX uses RxJS plus this kind of Redux type pattern. And where you can get in trouble with RxJS, and this isn't an RxJS problem. It's people that just don't realize what's going on. Hmm. is you can subscribe to what's called an observable that's a one that you maybe created and then forget to unsubscribe. So in the Angular world, we do that in ng on destroy. And that's, you know, kind of like in .NET where you have a dispose right. and you want to then right. free up that uh, memory. And it's pretty easy to forget. Now, what I use, though, and I've, I've been doing this for a couple of months now. It's pretty new, but I've, I, I started to write it myself. And then, as usual, I'm looking up things and went, oh. Somebody already wrote this. So <laughs> it's a little decorator, um, which would be similar to a C-sharp attribute. And uh, you put this decorator above your component class, and it will magically unsubscribe all your subscriptions for you in the ng-undestroy. So you don't have to remember now to do that every time. Um, oh, that's handy. Is, yeah, it's actually really, really nice. And it works very well. I've actually you know set my breakpoints and make sure it's getting hit and... Uh, works really well. So I don't have that one. Yeah, I'd have to, I can get you guys the link for that if anybody wants it, but it's called auto unsubscribe and cool. it's a little decorator you just throw up there and it'll, well, unsubscribe. Um, but getting back, I think your question was, is there anything that helps kind of address this more? And so first, I think the frameworks, you know, they're testing all this, of course. But second, um, you know, the Chrome profiler is pretty phenomenal now. Um, yeah. You can dive in. You want to get into the heap. You can get into the heap. You know, you want to get into the spa. You can get in. Nah, there is no spa in there, but <laughs> um, but the memory itself, you can get to and uh, kind of see what's spiking and when's it getting released. You, know, you can always go to the good old task manager. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, right. But, you know, if you want something more technical, the profiling tools are pretty good now on that. And these are the studio profiling tools? Uh, no, these are just the ones in Chrome. Chrome, okay. actually. Why is Chrome so big 
and so piggy. What is it doing? Yeah, well, that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got some pretty phenomenal uh, developer tools. I mean, now yeah. I it's hard for me to jump to another browser for you know for real because. I just use Chrome like every single day to debug or you could profile or you could do uh, your responsive work, you know, in Chrome. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like Chrome has become Firefox. Like Firefox used to be yeah. the browser you use as a web dev and you loaded it up with all these plugins and you got to a point where it's like, hey, I need to do some testing on my website. I'm going to start Firefox and then go for lunch. Because yeah. <laughs> everything's going to need patches. Like, it's going to be a while before that browser's ready. And then Chrome came along with a, hey, lightweight, easy, no big deal. But bit by bit, the bugger has grown to be the same beast. Yep. And it spawns multiple processes. I mean, you're, you've got one page up and you're using it for a while. And then you go look in the task manager and you see four or five Chrome EXEs. What's well, going on you know, here? I, I'm looking at my machine right now and it's 26. Well, I mean, just for one site, though. Yeah, I know. But right? as soon as you start your machine, if you've got any, you know, allow notifications for any website, that's a Chrome instance. Hmm. So, you know, there. Yeah, I, I, guess I, you're I do right. not have 26 windows open, right? I have like four windows open, but I have 26 right. instances of Chrome because somewhere along the line, I made that mistake of saying, okay, you can give me notifications. And now, you know, there it loads every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and part of that too is they have that new. It's the tabs are more isolated now. Yep. Um, from a security standpoint, which is good, but I think that also adds a little bit to what's running behind the scenes. And it means those tabs have more overhead. It's just not yeah. nothing's free here, right? No, no. If there's one thing we know, there's no such thing as magic code. Somebody had to write it. Yep. Right. And my and Chrome right now is consuming three gigs of RAM on this machine. Well, and the good the good news is there though. If on, you know, if you're on a Windows box, Windows 10 box, um, you know the Edge tools have gotten like phenomenally better. Oh yeah, um, they, yeah, they've really taken that up a lot compared to you know the even the old IE 11 tools were like, eh, you know, compared to say the Firefox or the Chrome tools, it was like no contest, you know. Whereas the edge ones, yeah, they're investing pretty heavily from what I've seen um, in that. And they're, they're pretty impressive. They're, they're not, you know, to the level of what Chrome can do yet, but give us some more time and I bet you they will be. We'll see. Do you, do you see your customers using edge? It just seems like it just doesn't have traction in the field. No, um, you know, I'm surprised how many enterprises, well, I probably shouldn't be surprised, but are still on uh, Windows 7. Sure. You know? mm. And most of them now, I will say most of them now have plans to migrate or some have migrated. But uh, yeah, it's still kind of little, little pokey, a little slow here and there on the, the uptake. And I throw my IT hat on here. It's like IE continues to persist because internal apps have been built for specific versions of IE and IE 11 has literally every uh, compiler, every renderer for all of the old versions of IE from 5.5 all the way up, except for six <laughs> because yep. six is huh. evil. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, like they're all there. And so, you know, if you built a site, You've, you've had one of your, a dev or a contractor build something that ran right in IE9 and doesn't run right in anything else. You can set a flag to tell IE11, run this as if you're IE9, and it will. 
And it, it's hmm. the only browser that does that. And so for, especially for internal stuff, like it, it's just not going to go away. It's there no. forever. That's right. Do you think that, uh, that is the case because people don't use it? Or do you think people don't use it because it actually has problems? You know, some sites don't render correctly or whatever. Yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, developers. Well, first off, in you know some of these companies, they have so many apps that yeah. most of them have inherited because unless you've been at the company for you know ten years or so, you you know show up as a new hire and hey, look what I get to maintain now. Um, <laughs> so I think a lot of it's just you can't go back and touch all those things, and that's why they have these rendering problems. They're just old, you know. Yeah, uh, there was a. Uh, uh, one of the electrical companies here in Arizona, we were just, I was with them and we were talking, uh, about that very scenario where we were talking through how do we upgrade these apps, you know, in a, a way that's not going to break our backs, but yet we can do it and have a more modern app, you know, and I'm, for me, I'm always a big fan of baby steps there. Just take small pieces and start to plan it out instead of trying to yeah. bite off the whole app at once. Well, especially when you're talking about internal stuff where they, it doesn't make the money anyway. You know, they really yep. don't want to spend on that at all. Yeah, if it works, you know, what's the saying? Yeah. If it ain't close, broke, don't close fix enough it. is good enough. A lot of cases. Yep. I'm just looking at the current stats breakdown uh, from Stat Counter and Net Market Share for for browsers, and and you know, the, on the desktop side, it's like sixty percent Chrome, ten percent IE, four percent Edge. On the mobile yeah. side, it's 55% Chrome, 18 or 20% Safari. So that's all iPhone, iPad. That's hmm. This is where it lives, right? And, and tablets, it's 50% Safari, 50% Chrome. Wow. You, you know, it's Google ought to think about maybe offering like a search capability or something because they'd make a ton of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a concept. I mean, think about how crazy that is. You own that much market share. So you drive all the people, you know, to your search engine. I mean, yeah. it's just like, it's like a monopoly. That is, it is the business, almost. isn't it? But it's also, <laughs> real, you know, crazy to think that 10 years ago, maybe a little more, IE was 80% of the market. Now it's 10 on the desktop and none on the on mobile. So it, things have definitely changed. Yeah. So Dan, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the three platforms, the big three, as you said, and uh, maybe what you like, what you don't like lately. Maybe start with Angular. Sure. Um, so Angular is still my favorite of the the big three, if you will. Mm. So you know you have Angular, React, and Vue, and then there's there's a bunch of others, but those three definitely, if you go look at the stats, they kind of dominate right now. Mm-hmm. And I say right now, Richard, right? Because talk to me next year and sure. who knows? I mean, it's crazy. But um, what I really like about Angular, and, and I would encourage people, when, when Angular first came out, I will admit, when Angular 2 first came out, not AngularJS, but Angular 2, you know, it was a huge jump from AngularJS. And, you know, developers, we don't really like to have to take an app and rewrite it. And that's yeah. kind of what had to happen. And yeah. so I get it. There was some pushback there. Like, ah, why didn't you make it where, you know, it was backward compatible? And, you know, the short answer there is think about, I mean, this would have been seven or so years ago. Think about what browsers were seven or eight years ago or maybe a little less than that. 
and think about where they are now. Think about your phone back then. Think about it now. And, you know, huge mm. difference. Sure. Massive new technologies have come out and all that. So the way I look at it, they had to make a choice. Either, either we go for it and we target all the new stuff or we keep the, what I'm going to call caveman framework, right? Yeah. In fact, I had a, <laughs> I had a release one called caveman framework, but, uh, so it was a big jump. Now, what I would recommend to anyone who's looking at front end is, you know, these older blog posts out there about, oh, it's too hard and da 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 da. There was some truth to that, actually. I would agree because they didn't have a great way to create a project. And, you know, there's a fair amount of files because you have your TypeScript and you have your compiler or transpiler for that and all that stuff. Mm. Now they have the Angular CLI, which is phenomenal. It's very good. There's even a new uh, tool. In fact, I just had lunch with uh, his name's Jeff Cross. He was formerly on the Angular team on uh, Wednesday. We had lunch. Um, his company, which is Narwhal, uh, it's like N-R-W-L. They're kind of hmm. Angular specialty. But they have, if you go to angularconsole.com, uh, I think. Let me go there real quick. They now have wrapped the CLI. So if you're like, ah, I don't like terminal windows. You know, I, I don't want to touch that. I just want a GUI. Well, there is one now. Um, so the Angular CLI on its own is phenomenal. It, it'll generate your projects. It does linting. It does end-to-end -end testing. Uh, now it uses Protractor, but you could do that. Uh, it has support for unit testing, building, building for production. I mean, you name it, it has it. It's very powerful. Uh, but this tool basically wraps it, this Angular console, and makes it so that if you want a GUI, you, you can get that. So that's pretty cool. So here's what I really love about Angular to kind of wrap that part up. Um, Angular is a framework. And in a nutshell, that basically means that uh, you get everything you need out of the box. Now, there's going to be some yeah. third-party stuff like widgets you might want to use. But in general, you get everything you need out of the box. So I kind of think that, you know, if you come from a framework background, Java, .NET, uh, Python, you know, whatever, Angular's just a natural fit. And I, I see this every time. We do a ton of Angular training. And every time I go into, you know, 24 people on a team, maybe come to a class I do, and all 24 of them are like, eh, JavaScript, you know. Yeah, don't really right. want to be here. Don't want to do it. And as soon as I start showing them how it works with TypeScript and the framework, everybody's eyes light up and they go, Oh, this is kind of like what we do in, you know, .NET or Java or whatever. Right. Uh, right yeah. Pretty powerful that way. So you get a lot kind of in one package. Now, React is also super popular. Um, now, I would argue people that are more, and, and this is a very hit or miss comment here, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I tend to find that people that know JavaScript either not very well or very well, that sort of becomes their de facto entry way because there's less to learn there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a little easier to get started with because it's a UI library. And that's uh, where Redux and some of the stuff you mentioned Ward uh, talked about. That's where that has to come into play because it's not a framework like mm -hmm. Angular. Um, it's just a library. And then you have to have a pattern of some type for like state management. Whereas Angular... You can actually do that natively in Angular if you want. Now, NGRX, which Ward probably talked about, you know, that adds even more. Now, that one though is very powerful. Uh, and by the way, every, all three of them use components. So they all can, uh, 
work with these reusable, I always like to think of them as building blocks, Lego blocks. Mm -hmm. The, but it doesn't have all the frameworky features built into React, but there's like a gazillion things you can do with it. The only thing I don't like if I had to pick a negative with React is that you do end up using a lot of stuff that is just from some other project. And while that sounds cool because you get that choice, you know how things go down the road as versions uh, get stale or projects get stale. Right. Mm. And I've already been through that for 20 years. So I'm like, uh, I'd prefer to use as much built in as possible. Uh, but it's very powerful. Now, Vue is kind of the new kid on the block. It's for those new to it, it's vue.js, vue.js. Uh, so it's kind of funny. So Angular is from Google, you know, right. uh, React is from Facebook and uh, Vue is from a guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> literally it's one guy and i shoot i know his name and my mind's going blank right now because you know how it is with names when you're under pressure to say it but um he uh has come up with a really nice it's it's they call it a framework to me it's still a little more of a library but it has some state management built in and routing and you know data binding and all three of them have data binding which is phenomenal uh, but Vue is very popular and, you know, for those that are kind of anti big company, which there are those out there, um, Vue is also very nice that way. Cause it's just a community now that kind of runs that one. Uh, Evan Yu is the guy you're, you're talking about. Evan Yu. That's it. Yeah. E- Evan. Yep. Evan and Yu. used to yep. work for Google and also worked on Meteor, which is one of the other yeah. frameworks. Yeah. He's yeah. a smart, I've never met Evan actually, but. I just from using view some, he's, he's a pretty smart dude. So, well, I like that this, this is a guy who clearly has worked on this problem a bunch of times and has chosen yep. to, to reboot it again into his best vision. That, uh, that's a very Rob Eisenbergen like thing. <laughs> yeah. If that's a word. <laughs> uh, what I like about view is it's very lightweight, very fast and very, they also have a really nice CLI. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, Vue 3 CLI just came out, gosh, in the last maybe month or two. And, uh, it's, it's powerful. I still, I, I think Angular's is the best in my opinion that's still out there, but mm-hmm. the Vue one's very good and it will help you quickly, you know, get up and running with a project and build it and do all that fun stuff. And if you want to use TypeScript and all that with any of these, you can. I'm a mm-hmm. huge TypeScript fan. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's like a gi- given for me. But, uh, yeah, so the, the difference between Vue and React is Vue has, I don't even know how you say it. How do, how do you guys pronounce V-E-U-X? Voy? Vox? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I'm not even sure the proper way to say it is I've heard multiple pronunciations, but they have a state management kind of baked in, uh, that you can use. Uh, like I said, they have routing and data binding, all the key things. I kind of think of it, it feels a lot like, Angular JS, but like a, a super upgraded version that's just better from the old Angular JS that first came out. And it feels more like that as far as how you use it, though. So, Vuex, Vuex. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure the proper way to say it. <laughs> well, we'll just call it Vuex. But it seems like Redux, right? I mean, does this seem like, like it falls in the same role as sort of state management? For Vue, the same way Redux is state management for React. And as we talked to Ward a couple of weeks back, you can also use the state management for, for Angular. 
NGRX. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's simplified. I actually mm-hmm. think it's a lot easier to kind of reason about compared to maybe React's Redux. The challenge with Redux is you have like a gazillion files. Right. Um, so like I actually do not use NGRX and I have a, a super big app. I'm working on this one I was telling you about. Uh, I have this, I call it the observable store pattern. Um, and it really simplifies it, but I still get like 99% of the benefits of what Redux gives you. Uh, mm. so, you know, there's different ways you can do things. I'm a keep it simple first guy because right, right. I've done all those years of maintenance. <laughs> it's just pain, um, right? Yeah. Yep. I just don't like things that add a gazillion files, you know, sure. because you have that one or two developers on the team that understand it well. And if, if that's all you have on the team, I'd say, great, go for it. But what happens when you have new hires and contractors and, you know, a lot of companies that work with, that's what they have. And now how do you make sure everybody knows what's going on? It's just such a high hill to climb to get in. It is. It is. And it's super powerful. It does its job great. I'm sure Ward, I mean, he knows it super well inside and out. Yeah. Um, But But I always. Not all of us are Ward. In fact, I'm pretty sure only one of us is Ward. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure on that. <laughs> Since we all three know Ward really well. We do. Um, Ward's awesome. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, once you learn like Angular or React, then you have this other mountain you climb, which is the whole Redux pattern. And, you know, again, if you have a team and you want that kind of one way to manage your state across the app, it's very predictable. Then, you know, Redux is your, that's a great tool for that. that's what it does, but you got to know what you're getting into. So, yeah, sure. Anything really rub you the wrong way about any of these, uh, frameworks, platforms, whatever we call them. Is there any, anything in your wish list? I don't think I, I really like, so on the pro side of these, I really like the ability to separate the back end and the front end, the rendering technology, you know, because, yeah. When we've locked ourselves into one technology all the way through over the years, every single one of those has changed big time, you know, over the, the years. So I, first off the pros, I, I really like the ability to, uh, separate these out so that if I, I mean, heaven forbid, I completely rewrite this app I'm working on and go to Vue.js, let's say, mm-hmm. um, you know, it could be done though. And I wouldn't even have to change the back end at all. Uh, which is super nice to be able to kind of say that the, I think the downside is there are so many developers out there. Cause this is kind of a lot of them I get to work with who have zero front end experience. And right. to be honest, are just, they're awesome. Like cloud developers or desktop developers, or um, you know, they do MVC or whatever it may be on the server side, but JavaScript to them was, oh yeah, I have a function that, you know, shows and hides a button and that's JavaScript. Yep. And that's changed obviously a lot over the last 10 years or so. So I think the downside is just that, um, you kind of feel like there's this whole, if you come from that background I just talked about, you feel like there's this whole mountain you have to climb. Now I will say it's a fun climb, uh, yeah. especially once you get to the top, you know, Richard, you've been to some phenomenal hiking places. I don't know if you call it hiking more what mountain climbing. <laughs> I call it hiking because I don't like mountain climbing. I don't. As okay. soon as I need to be roped in with ice axes and crampons, like I don't want to go. 
You're like, yeah. I'm I like walking uphill. I'm good at walking uphill. <laughs> well, you definitely uh, walk uphill when you jump these kind of worlds, if you will. But, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, once you get to the top, it's like a phenomenal sunset, you know, and the rock just rolls down really fast once you push down <laughs> on the other side. Um, so I, I think the downside is probably that, that there's just so many developers out there. Um, now, I w- the younger crowd you know, coming out of college, it seems like a lot of them do have at least some web experience, but you know, you have some old folks like me who, uh, I, I just got lucky. You know, I, I got into the web as soon as it came out and JavaScript was called live script back then. And that's when I got mm-hmm. in and I kind of got lucky. I think I was one of two people on the planet that actually liked JavaScript back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's probably the downside is that now you need this other skill set. Uh, now I will say though, with TypeScript, it just makes it like phenomenally cool. I mean, you want to use interfaces and generics and all this kind of cool stuff we can do in Java and .NET. Well, you can do that on the front end and I highly recommend it for the front end. It's right. awesome. That's cool. Well, Dan, thank you very much. This has been a great hour talking to you. It's always fun to talk and listen to what you have to say. No, it's always good to talk with you guys. Thank you. I always feel smarter at the end, man. You get me thinking differently. Absolutely. All right, thanks again. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.